Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids. I absolutely love encouraging young moms. And today we're going to finish up our book study on Mark Shaw's book, Addiction Proof Parenting. And his premise is that sometimes we do things. He's, he's dealt with a lot of people that have addictions. And addiction is just giving in to selfishness. And he points out things that we can do inadvertently that help to um, foster that in our kids, which we don't want to do. So he's just kind of pointing out some cautions. And then I'm adding things that we can do to counterbalance that, you know, things on the positive side. All right, his fourth um, framework reference is grateful versus, versus perishing. Perishing, he compares this mindset as, as woe is me, woe is me, the whole world's against me. Um, and to foster that, he says, model ungratefulness before your child. After all, there's always something to gripe about in this world. Do you see the glass half empty or half full? Look instead for the good. It's there to be found. And we need to teach our kids to be on a treasure hunt for the good in life, not the bad. It's too easy to, to point out the bad. Another thing he says not to do, always point out the bad in any situation. Do not teach your child to be grateful for undesirable circumstances. Instead, God uses those rough situations to mold us into fit servants for him. Think of Joseph. He's one of my favorite people in scripture. Look at his brother sold him into slavery. Potiphar's wife lied about him. The butler and the baker forgot to tell Pharaoh about him. It just seemed like at every turn in his life, bad things were poured upon him. But he didn't get bitter. He realized that God was going to use it for good. And when his brothers came for food, He's, he acknowledged that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We need to teach our kids to have the attitude of Joseph, to see what life gives us as from the hand of God for our good and for others' good. You know, Joseph was able, those dreams that he had as a young kid came true. He was able to enable his people to be saved because he did not get bitter, but he forgave his brothers. There's so many other people, and this book that we wrote is full of godly examples of people that exemplified character in their life. And I know I've shared this story before, but I'll very briefly share one. It's my favorite. You can tell because I talk about it. Um, but Jake DeShazer, he was one of the Doolittle Raiders in World War II. He, to make it a long story short, he was captured by the Japanese. He was treated roughly tortured for three and a half years in prison. But toward the end of that time, one of the guards gave the men four books. One was the Bible. He read the Bible. He became a Christian there in his cell. And after, he, after World War II ended, he came back to the States, went to Bible college. Then he went back as a missionary to Japan and preached the gospel to the very men who had tortured him, as well as the nation of Japan. A man named Mitsuo Fuchida, who's, who, who inst in, was instrumental in the raid on Pearl Harbor, um, got a hold of his tract, read it. They met up. Um, Mitsuo became a Christian, and the two men, Mitsuo Fuchida and Jake, went around the country of Japan preaching the gospel together. 
thousands of Japanese people were saved because this one man practiced forgiveness. He could have said, woe is me. He was so mistreated. Um, but after he became a Christian, even the guards noticed a change in his attitude. It's how we think. God takes our thoughts. If we exchange our wicked thoughts, our earthly thoughts, for God's thoughts, then we can begin to become better servants of God. Because one man practiced forgiveness, thousands of Japanese people were saved. And then I, they both went in the country of America, too, in the United States, and shared the gospel as well. Make sure you tell your child early and often how this world always gives you a bad deal and how your family's always been dealt a bad hand in terms of money, opportunity, employment, education. Encourage self-pity. Do we want to do that? No, we don't want to do that. Do not teach the child to have a joyful spirit, but to focus on thinking on what he doesn't have. Instead, we want to focus on the positive. It's so easy to dwell on what we don't have, what someone else has that we don't have, um, or how circumstances life has treated us poorly. Instead, teach your kids Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Use that as a guideline for your kids' thoughts. Was what you were thinking true? Was it honorable? Was it pure? Was it right? Was it lovely? Was it of good repute? This is a guideline for our thoughts to help our kids see what was going on in their mind, how they were dwelling on the wrong thoughts, and help them to put off the wrong and put on the right. It's not enough just to put off the wrong. We need to put on the right. A person with a perishing mentality will have very few real friendships because others grow weary of his attitude and lack of interest in others. We all know somebody like this. They're just always complaining. Life's given them a bad deal. Nothing's ever right. How are you today? Oh, not so good, blah, 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 blah. You don't enjoy being around them. You know, you get away from them as, as soon as you can. We don't want to grow kids, to raise kids who act like that. This is so important. God is more concerned with your child's holiness than his happiness. Sometimes it's too easy for us as parents to try to make our kids happy. If, you, if that's your focus, if that's your goal, you can't do that. You can never make a child happy totally, completely. It's God. It's the joy of God living in them that's going to give them joy. Happiness is a very temporary thing. And God's more concerned with your child's holiness. That's what we need to focus on. So how do we foster gratefulness? First of all, model a thankful heart because that will foster an attitude of gratefulness in your child. It shows your child that you trust God. If you're complaining, if you're griping, it shows that you think God's given you a raw deal. Be on guard against unrealistic expectations. Suppose you make a plan to go fishing. You're going to take your kids fishing on Saturday, and on Saturday it's raining. You know, there are so many disappointments in our life where things don't pan out like we plan. If you react by saying, oh, that stupid rain, it rained again, it always rains on Saturday, you're leading them to believe that God's plan is not as good as yours. Instead, guide them, hey, what can we do in place of what we plan, guys? 
let's think of something valuable and fun or something that helps others that we can do today. Train your child to be thankful for all things. That's what the word says, for all things. Teach them always to thank others for a gift that they're given, even if it's something if they already have one like it. If they open a birthday gift saying, oh, I already have one like that. Teach them to be thankful and grateful for that person's investment in them. Model thankfulness when you have your own personal disappointments. Learn to think right yourself so that you can model that for your kids. Children learn so much more from observation than listening to what their parents tell them to do. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. We need to teach ourselves and our kids this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Here's the fearing the Lord again. Not thinking that we know better than God. Teach their thoughts about circumstances that that what they're thinking about, their thoughts about circumstances they're experiencing are not to be trusted. Instead, they are to trust in God's sovereignty in their lives. God uses everything in their life to make them better. You know, joy, I love this definition. Joy is a purposeful manner of thinking fueled by a grateful heart. Let me say that again. Joy is a purposeful manner of thinking fueled by a grateful heart. Ephesians 5.20 says, Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach your kids that verse. Are you giving thanks to God for that? You know, help them deal with the wrong thoughts that just pop into our heads, the normal, natural sinful, selfish thoughts, and help them exchange that for God's thoughts in the matter. Mark Shaw says the key to preventing addictions is learning to give thanks for anything and everything. That's pretty simple. I mean, it's not simple to do, but it's a simple um, prevention. Learn to give thanks for anything and everything. God will redeem our failures for his glory and our good, just like he did for Joseph. It was for his glory and Joseph's good. I love that. God will redeem our failures for his glory and our good. He redeems them. Be intentionally joyful. As Christians, we need to learn not to live on that roller coaster, a manner that's dependent on life situations, up and down, up and down. Our kids see that. They're watching us. When people live this way, they learn to develop a victim mentality because they think they're merely a product of their environment and they deserve better. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on this earth. Don't deny that bad things happen. They do all the time. That's life. Acknowledge it, but don't dwell on it. Turn those thoughts to the positive. Teach your kids to forgive in their heart and turn the other cheek. Like in Luke 6, 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Teach them to forgive. Forgiveness and repentance we need to do every day.
Focus your thinking on the good things in life and the character and the power of God to be redemptive in your situation. You might not understand right now how God's going to redeem this situation, but you can trust him that he will. That's important. Only God can turn sin into something that saves lives, as he did for Joseph's, Joseph's brothers. They sinned. They sinned greatly against him. So did Potiphar's wife. Only God can turn something, can turn sin into something that saves lives, as he did for Joseph and his brothers. Teach your kids to choose obedience over feelings. Learn to make decisions based on the eternal word of God, not feelings. Help your child to see the good in situations, and feelings will follow. It starts with our thoughts, then our actions, do what's right, feelings follow. Feelings are the last car on the train. We have thoughts, actions, feelings. Thoughts need to be based on God's word. And we need to make the decision to do what's right. Even if we don't understand the situation, feelings will follow. You know, our emotions have the power for good or for evil. To make right choices, the emotions of joy follow. They don't start with emotion. The emotion follows. So if the, your kids learn to make right choices, emotions of joy will follow. If they make bad choices, depression, sadness, anger, and fear follow. That will be the last car on the train. Um, the emotions of depression, sadness, anger, fear, if they make bad choices. Emotions resulting from sinful choices bring us to confession and repentance with Christ. And that's what we need to do with our kids. They're going to make bad decisions. They're going to make choices based on their emotions but we need to bring them to confession and repentance with Christ. Contentment is learned. Philippians 4.9 says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is Paul. He was saying that he was going to be an example that they could learn by his godly example. Teach your child to focus on Christ by cultivating a grateful heart. It's so important. And the very last mindset is submissive versus rebellious. If you want to raise a rebellious child, teach them to be self-reliant. He should know he can't count on anyone but himself. He wants to be in complete control of his life and be his own boss. I did it my way. Teach him to be independent and self-sufficient and never ask for help. You know, it humbles us to ask for help, and we need humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Teach him to trust in himself and never let him read or follow Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, which we read a little back. You know, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We want to direct our paths. We think we know better than God. That's what we need to train our kids not to do. Arrange your schedule and your family schedule around his sports events. In this way, you can have a child-centered home. There are some families that never are home together. They never do dinner together. They're always on the go. They're always going somewhere. They're involved in all these extracurricular things. Extracurricular things can be very beneficial, but you don't want them to control your life. Or put your child ahead of your spouse. That's something that's very easy to do, especially in the early years. We don't want to do that. 
Don't teach manners or respect for others. It's old-fashioned. Anybody who believes that, I don't know. Teach your child to be dishonoring to older folks. Oh, guys, this is something you don't want to do, but it's something that comes naturally. Kids have a natural tendency not to be tender to the young and not to honor the old. And we need to cultivate honor, have our kids honor others. All people were made in the image of Jesus. But point out the good things about others. Teach them to honor other people. Lead them in that honor, and it will stick with them for life. Okay, again, there's two extremes. You can control everything or try to control everything your child says and does. Answer all the questions directed at the child. If somebody asks them questions, you answer it. And try to make all the decisions for him. Or you can allow him to make all his decisions about food, clothing, friends, future goals. Neither one of those is right. Let your child decide if he wants to go to church or not. Bad move. Choose a church based on what's best for your child, the programs, the activities. Now, you do want to choose a church on where you're being fed and where you can minister, but not on just solely where your child is going to enjoy it the most. Foster self-esteem so your child thinks he is the cause of all his successes in life, not the Lord. Bad move. And I think I kind of fell into raising my kids' self-esteem a little bit too much. I erred a little bit on that side when my kids were real little till I realized what I was doing. Teach your child to ignore the glory of God and to glory in their self. You know, you don't want to do that. Um, worship your child rather than God. Sometimes we do this. We build our child up so much that we are tempted to worship them instead of God. Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools act independently of God and are not submissive to authorities. Teach your kids about fools. In our Proverbs People book that we made for our kids, our own kids initially, it tells about five types of fools. And it looks, you have your kids look up verses about the five types of fools in Scripture so that they can see if they are being that type of fool or to recognize that type of fool in other people that they will see. Okay, there's the self-confident fool, the Hebrew word kaseel. And there's certain guidelines that scripture says how you are to teach a self-confident fool. So we have a bunch of short answer questions where the child looks it up. Then there's a story, an example of a self-confident fool. And then a stubborn fool, evil in Hebrew, evil, however they pronounce it. Again, short answer questions and a story about a stubborn fool. The simple fool, pethy in Hebrew. Again, there's short answer questions. The simple fool we're supposed to teach. Then there's the lutz, lutz, the scorning fool. And again, there's certain ways that we are to handle the scorning fool. And a, and a story about that. And then the nabal, nabal, like nabal in scripture, the empty person, the committed fool. We're to ha have nothing to do with this kind of fool. And then there's, again, short answer questions and an example of the wicked fool. Then there's application questions. Can you think of a way someone might get into trouble by being too self-confident? Give an example of how a stubborn fool might show that he is stubborn. 
What are some ways a wise person could help a simple fool to do things better? A scorning fool has no respect for the laws of God. How do you think this type of person would respond to other laws, such as laws about driving a car? The wicked fool says there is no God. Why do you think he might want to believe that? Then there's a fun quiz where you, your kids, check whether it's the simple, the scornful, the stubborn, the self-confident, or the wicked. He learns by seeing others punished. He says there's no God to judge wickedness. He mocks and despises his parents' teaching. Which one of the fools is this? So teach your kids about the fools in Scripture and how we're to respond to them and deal with them. Proverbs People 1 can help you if you need help with that. It's on our website. I'll put it in the show notes, a link. You know, parents who give kids too many choices foster a rebellious mentality. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, he points out a different take on this verse. He says it emphasizes the extreme of neglecting a child. As a parent, it's our duty to teach our child the right direction to go. If you neglect that duty, a child will raise himself and learn to be his own authority. Very likely, he will not depart from that line of reasoning when he's old. It's very difficult for the spiritually neglected child to submit to authority when he's older. Now, I, I had thought about training a child in a way he should go, but I hadn't thought about the neglecting a child, how he learns to trust himself as his authority. Very, very good insight. You know, it's so important to foster a servant-minded attitude in your kids. In contrast, rebels serve only themselves unless it profits them to serve others. There are times they will do things for others because it profits them. Pride is a huge hindrance to having a servant's heart. So offer opportunities for your child to serve others. You know, authority needs to be learned in the home. Reinforcing God's rules with the rod and reproof that we talked about in the first podcast about this book. Submission is the heart of Christ. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered, and your kids will too when you walk them through it and help them to do that. Submission is the willful placement of oneself under an authority. The willful placement of oneself under an authority. Focus on trusting the person of Christ, not another human. People will let you down. People will let your kids down. They need to know this. The only one that we should trust totally with our lives is Jesus Christ. Teach your kids to serve self is to serve Satan. Then lastly, teach your kids the character of Christ, which is found in the Bible. I will give you my freebie list again if you have not gotten it about the 45 character qualities with simple kid-friendly definitions and verses to go along with that. There's also this Kids of Character book that goes through those 45 character qualities. And it gives short answer questions again for each one. Compassion, being willing to expend effort to help alleviate the suffering of those in need. Then there's Proverbs 3, 27 through 28. Um, if your neighbor's in need and you have the means to help, what does this verse tell you to do? It gives you a verse to look up. What does this verse say about putting them off or telling them to come later? Another Bible verse to look up. What does this verse tell us about caring for our pets? Another verse. What does this verse say about compassion? Mark 5.19, who had compassion on us? 
Then there's some ifs. For each one of these 45 character qualities in Kids of Character, there's ifs, which I've told you before. It's a little game that we played with our kids. It's giving them an example of situations of temptation that you think they may be placed in and teaching them in advance what the correct response would be. And you and your husband can get together and come up with what the correct response should be. Here's a couple ifs. You find a stray kitten with a broken back. What should you do? Second question, in church there's a little girl with Down syndrome. She loves talking to people, but others seem to be scared around her, to be around her. What should you do? This is so good to help your kids learn what to do in advance of the time that they need to do it. So that you're training them, you're teaching them to think, what should my thoughts be in this situation? Let me give you just another couple of, of ifs for forgiveness. Dad promised to take you fishing today, but he got up early and went to his office, totally forgetting your plans. What should you do? A man in church mistook you for a boy or girl who was causing trouble and told your dad. Dad believes you, but now what should you do? Your baby sister grabbed your Bible and tore out several pages while you were out of the room. What should you do? You know, this helps your kids think, what would the godly response be? What should my thoughts be if this situation were to happen? And my kids attested to the fact that so many times this kept them on the straight and narrow. It helped them to do the right thing, to respond in a godly way instead of lash out in a natural way. So, you know, even as parents, we need to fight to keep the truth in our own minds as well as in our children's minds. Guard your mind. Slow your life down if you need to. Spend time in the word and prayer and protect your mind, protect your kid's mind. I hope this has helped you. If you I will put a, a link in the show notes to the book if you want to read Mark Shaw's book. I recommend it. He had another book called, there's a, a book that goes along with it. I'll put that in the show notes too. Anyway, I hope you have found this helpful. I hope it has helped you think maybe of some of the ways that you're dealing with your kids and what they might, what you might be communicating inadvertently by ways you deal with your kids. And learning to help your kids focus on what's going on in their mind, leading them to make the wrong actions so that they can replace those wrong thoughts with the right thoughts and make the wise choice so much better for them to learn it when they're young. I hope you've enjoyed this session. We'll see you next week.